and welcome to the Keeping the Peace podcast. Today I'm meeting with DCI Pete Thorpe. Uh, we've been doing some work together quite extensively over the last probably year and 18 months I'd say, uh, developing uh, Keeping the Peace training which is all around well-being and stress management and personal resilience. So it's, I'm really looking forward to talking to you Pete. <laughs> <laughs> he looks nervous. Um, <laughs> Pete, do you want to just give a bit of an explanation about your role and an area of business for the police? Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm a DCI um, and I work in the Protecting Vulnerable People Unit. Uh, Within that, we deal with um, all uh, child sex abuse investigations, child safeguarding, um, and a lot of adult sex offending as well. So it's a a really difficult environment to work in. I, I guess, in a way, are really fortunate that I'm a DCI in this department and not a DC in the department, because actually the people doing the actual investigations and seeing that trauma with victims and the material that they have to view is such that it is so uh, demanding on them that actually I genuinely feel quite fortunate that I'm not doing that job. Mm. But my job, I guess, is to make sure that we care for those people as much as we possibly can. We make sure that uh, they're looked after and that they can actually deliver something really positive to that victim of what can be the most horrendous um, crime that you could be a victim of. Mm. So it's, it's a really, really challenging department, but the people that we have and not there by chance, they want to be there, they have an interest or an aptitude to do this sort of work and are very compassionate, caring people. The trick is just to make sure they've got the right help and support around them and that they can identify and manage that stress, which is something we're going to talk about today, um, is really important. Yeah, I mean, when I've, I've met a lot of them um, in the trainings and in different pieces of work we've Mm. done, and it's really struck me how passionate they are about what they do, but always juggling that kind of you know, it's the worst. It's the worst part of people, isn't it, that they're managing all the time, that they're yeah. investigating, yeah. and it's, it's the, it's the stuff that most of us would shy away from, and they go, they're going straight into that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's maybe they're not putting themselves in physical danger. If we think about a firearms officer running towards a bomb going off or something like that, but they are putting themselves every day in some sort of emotional danger, which is a totally different thing to manage but equally is really important. And the great thing about having done the work that we've done together in the last 18 months, I think we've really started to understand how we support the workforce in a much better, more compassionate, more human way. And certainly when we've done the Keeping the Peace training, um, the ability for them to have that someone like you come in and talk about what stress is, actually, that it's not something to be afraid of, it's not something to feel embarrassed about, that we all have those moments where we are going to really struggle. Mm. And actually, that's all right. Mm. There's a definitely a perception in the cops that you have to be strong and you're there to help people and you'll always be that person that you can be relied on to do anything. And it's like, that's great, but that's not always the case. And actually, you're going to have stuff going on, whether it's at work, in our environment, which is pressurised, it's very demanding, it's high intensity. And imagine then going home to something else that's pressurised, high intensity, distressing, how do you manage that? So it's really important that we step up as an organisation and not want to sound really corporate, but we need to care for our staff much mm. better. Mm. And we need to make sure that they feel valued and they feel supported and they're engaged with us and they have good leadership and the support mechanisms are in place for them to get them through those really tough times, whether it's at work or away from work. Yeah, and I think making it more um, acceptable to be able to say, I'm finding this really difficult or 
this case is really getting to me or, you know, I'm overwhelmed mm. with cases or whatever and yeah. be able to flag that. Because you're right, I think cops tend to keep going, keep going, they keep putting the mask on, they keep turning up. Yeah. Um, and often there can be a lot going on at home as well, but yeah. that doesn't come into work because we keep that separate. Um, but eventually, over a long period of time, it takes its toll and there's a payment for that. Yeah, it does. And if we can do, even if we can do a little bit of, these are the signs to look out for, or this is what you need to think about, or this is how people get stressed, this is the build-up to that, these are the markers that you need to see that are happening. Mm. And if we can stop someone getting to the point where they go off sick or they have some sort of moment, then that's fantastic. Because mm. then, then they feel supported. And for us, we have the, they're here, they're at work, they're doing that really difficult job, but a really important job at the same time. But equally, they're not damaging themselves in the process. I think that timing is really important. You know, when people have gone off sick and actually because they feel that they've got to a point where they can't do this anymore, mm. then they've got to get back in. Yeah. Um, it's much it's much better for people if they can continue to do their job because it, it's, at, you know, being at work and the structure and the process it gives us and the identity and everything yeah. else, it, it's, it's important. Um, to actually have to walk away from it because you feel that you can't do it anymore and take time off is really hard, I think, for cops because then they've got to make find their way back in. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I've never really worked in any other job. I've not had a real job. I've always been in the cops. <laughs> so, but you, it is a bit of a cliche, but you are in a, a weird family. And I, maybe that's apparent in other jobs. It, it probably is. But certainly when you're working in a world surrounded by child abuse and child sexual abuse in particular, um, you do bond in a funny way with your colleagues and you become oddly close mm. in a weird way mm. um, and to be out of that that's almost like your support mechanism for many people I guess at work um, and then to be away from that is quite difficult it's not like you go home and you know my wife says oh how was work today and it's like oh well let you tell me about all the things that I've done today do you really want to know mm. and actually you know out socially the best conversation killer in a pub is you meet someone new and say, oh, what do you do for a job? Oh, I, I manage the uh, team at Homicide Police that deals with child sex abuse. Mm. Well, that's the end of that conversation. Yeah, um, It's no pretty similar when I say I'm a psychotherapist, people just stop talking, yeah. walk away. <laughs> well, that and the worries you're going to be analysing. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. God, she's going to know all about <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you, I know you've got a real passion for wellbeing. We've, we've talked about it and we've yeah. worked on things for a long time now, really. Um, why are you so passionate about it? Well, I know you've talked there about almost buffering the staff from what, and the officers from what they're doing but you know you are really driven to make sure that people have good leadership and are taking their own well-being into an account so you know what's that what's that driven by it's a really good question I think partly having worked in this environment now for I don't know eight or nine years um, the thing that and I've been quite fortunate because I came into this department as a, a DS as a detective sergeant um, and have, have gone through several promotions but never really left the department mm. I've sort of clawed my way out a couple of times and have managed to be sucked back in again so I think one of the things that really sticks in my mind is having been newly promoted as a DS and coming into what was then the family protection unit but was the PVP um, I remember having a conversation with um, a, a colleague who I was managed who I was their manager and I had no clue about child protection or safeguarding at all and they sort of said to me about how they, how I needed them more than they needed me. Mm. And it was true because I need them because of their knowledge, their understanding, their ability. But equally, 
and I reflected this back to them. I was like, well, you also need me because there'll be points where you need my support or help or guidance. But that really grounded me, I think, and taught me a really valuable lesson about what it is to be a leader. Mm. And it's about how you support an individual, not a group, an individual. Um, and from there, it's really grown, I guess, in, in terms of seeing some of the pressures that the staff face. Like I said at the beginning, I actually feel quite lucky that I don't do their job. Mm. Um, which I don't think we should be afraid of that point of view. It's understanding the difficulties that they have and they do such a good job and they help. The reason people join the police is they want to help people. If you sit in an interview with new starters and you say, why do you want to join the police? Oh, well, I, and there's almost like a stock answer. I want to help people. I want to do something good for my community. So we're all driven by the same things. And if my part of that is to make sure that the people that help the people that need us the most at times, this is the most vulnerable people that can't always ask for our help, they can't always put their hand up and get that help. We need to be really on the front foot in finding these people and supporting them and giving that confidence that they can trust us mm. and we can help them. And if my bit of that is to make sure that the staff, when they come to work, feel that they've got that support and the right environment around them to give that help, then that can't be a bad thing. Mm. So that's, I think, my motivation behind the wellbeing stuff. And it's just grown, I guess, having worked with you, uh, and understanding much better some of the elements that we've covered in the training before. I mean, I've learned a lot through it as well. Things like the, you know, the the, the uh, self care wheel and understanding that all those pieces of that jigsaw come together, and it's always going to be a bit lumpy. Mm. And it's how you sort of smooth that circle out to make sure that you feel that you're on an even keel all the mm. time. That's really helped me. So if I've got benefit out of it, then it should be that people who are working with me get that as well mm. I think that self-care wheel um, impacted on a lot of people didn't it in the training and mm. it's, um, it's something that I've developed over the years just around looking at different parts of our lives and how we function and what we do to look after ourselves because often when you're in a really stressful job or potentially stressful job you, you can really lose sight of yourself and yeah. what you need in order to be able to function and I think also culturally uh, especially from the police point of view but also from you know being British point of view yes it's very much about um you know not putting yourself first because that seemed to be self-centered mm -hmm. and this whole thing now about well-being and about self-care and you know looking after yourself and taking that responsibility for yourself it's a massive shift away from culturally where we've been it is yeah it is and it's really interesting to start seeing I mean the great thing about when we did that training so we delivered that training to what a couple of hundred people yeah um the response from that was, oh my God, this is, we never had this before. No one's ever sat down and talked to us like this before. We've never had the opportunity to air our grievances like this before and explain the difficulties that we face and actually get something practical that is going to help us. Mm. It's almost like we've forgotten mm. the people there. So, yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity. And the way you think, I think about that self-care wheel is a little bit like... Um, you know on the Trivial Pursuit where you collect your cheeses <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then you get your full wheel and then you're all good and watching people go through that process and you could see them thinking about it and actually suddenly maybe almost realising that this issue that might not be anything to do with work is clearly making my wheel a bit wonky Yeah. and it's a really really useful way of identifying mm. those bits so mm. yeah that was for me that was, and it was the first bit I think of the training wasn't yeah, it it was the first really. thing we, we got really, them to do really was early. fill your wheel in mm. Um, but yeah, for me, that's just set the turn then of what we then talked about. Mm. Um, and the feedback we've had from it has absolutely been fantastic. Mm. Hence why we're going to do it well. We 
planning to do Part it again. Part two, if we can get people in a room. Yeah, if we can get more than three people in a room together, <laughs> yeah. it'll be great. You're listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast, brought to you in partnership with Fortis Therapy and Training, Oscar Kilo and Humberside Police. Wellbeing is going to, is kind of integral, and it, and I suppose in the in the you know in the kind of COVID nineteen era, I suppose that's something that we're having to kind of think about more and more. Mm. People are working more remotely. We've got people working from home. Yeah. We've got leaders and managers who also, who probably would be able to pick up on someone struggling and see the signs if they were seeing them face to face, but not being able to see people face to face or you know um, yeah. them being at home can be quite tricky. How do you think? Uh, leaders and uh, colleagues, I suppose, because this is about taking responsibility for self, but also for others, isn't it? Um, kind of, how, what signs do you see, I suppose, when you're working with people and you physically can't see them, um, and you can see other managers kind of struggling with that as well? I think it's it's certainly a real challenge because you forget how much you rely on um, visual communication. Yeah. So. You can look in someone's eyes, you can judge by their body language, you can see it in them almost, you know, that's really easy. What's really difficult is when you don't see your staff as often as you'd want to or they're not there. Um, And the only way you can overcome that is to, well, at the moment it's through, you know, Skype calls, video calls, but equally looking out for those other signs. So sometimes we do see that the workload of officers is quite large in our department, but actually at times you can see it growing and growing and growing. And you can be very quick to sort of say, well, they're clearly not working hard enough because yeah. they're not turning that work over. And actually what we, what we should be saying is, well, is there some reason why that person is almost like stocking work up? And it's having spoken to some colleagues who have experienced this, they will actually say, well, yeah, what I was doing was I thought if I took more on, I would look busy and it would allow me to hide almost from the pressure or this thing that I'm facing right now. And actually it just makes it 10 times worse. So it's really important for managers at every level to not misinterpret that culture of trying to monitor performance. That is important. We've mm. got a job to do at the end of the day and we need yeah. to help people. But equally, it's a, it does allow us to un- maybe look deeper into what's going on with an individual. Having that regular one-to-one support session is really important. We, as we aspire anyway for our sergeants and inspectors to keep a close eye on their staff every 28 days. They should sit down and have a conversation with them about what's going on in their, in their workload and how they're progressing that. Something we're working on in a minute is to try how we become more reflective in our practice around some of the things that they've experienced and almost steal some of those things that you will use in your professional life as well yeah. as social workers and having that regular sort of supervision or that point where you go, do you know what, yeah, studying for that mortuary watching a post-mortem of a baby was absolutely horrendous. Mm. So how do we support them and get that rather than just going, yeah, you've done that now, so we'll move on. We'll yeah. just pretend that never happened or mm. you don't need anything, do you? You're fine, you've done it before. Mm. I think that reflection side of it is really important. I mean, in my in my practice, you know, we um, as, a, as a profession expect to have mm. supervise, supervisory support, clinical supervision every month. And, and we're not seeing things firsthand, we're hearing it. Yeah. Um, and working with people to help them through it. But that that kind of reflective conversation, I have that with my supervisor. We, you know, At Fortis we have peer support, reflective groups where it isn't about me facilitating, we help each other and we share ideas and yeah. talk about tricky cases without breaking any confidences. Um, but it's, it's creating space for thought yeah. and also about bringing yourself into that equation. So 
someone may have been to a mortuary and and gone through what you've just described 10 times but the 10th mm. time is the time that actually mm. they're finding it really difficult and we might not know yeah, why. why yeah, yeah. But, but by reflecting and talking about it we can help people to understand why but also what do we need to do differently in future and you know yeah. all of that stuff that comes from it that bit about we'll just keep moving forward and keep pushing it down you're fine you're fine you're fine which I think is what we can tell ourselves in our own minds you know yeah. self-talk Stuff. Yeah, and I think because people don't understand or don't recognise some of those signs that they need to look out for themselves, or if they do, they ignore it. Mm. That's what's been good about the work that we've done with the Keeping the Peace training, and now having a Keeping the Peace podcast. Yeah, that actually people can recognise that actually I feel a bit weird about this, or this is you know I've got this odd thing in me. I don't know what it is. Mm. Well, actually, maybe it is something we can help you with, and and very quickly support you through and you can understand it better and then it's not going to spill over mm. into something else. It'd be very easy in a job where you're coming in and you are bombarded with high risk, distressing work and it's almost like it's relentless. Yeah. And actually how do you park that when you go home? And actually should that be having such an impact on your own private life? For me, I am very believe quite strongly work, work, home's home. Mm. But you can't always have that distinction. And we need to be really clear how, it's almost like catching it early, isn't it? It's like you're starting to exhibit these symptoms or clearly this sign that this stressor is starting to come to you. So let's get it resolved now. Let's be happy enough and bold enough to identify it and then deal with it, not be judged about it. No one tittle-tattles in the background thinking, oh, look at them, they've had to go, they've had a wobble. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, we're all gonna have wobbles at some point mm. and then move on from it. Mm. I think it's, um, it- helping culturally for people to to just accept that that's part of what we do as human beings we're not robots and we do we are affected by a lot of things whether that it might be a work related thing or it might be a personal Mm. related thing and um or it might be that you know that there's an investigation ongoing and there's children at home that are the same age or you know that kind of thing and um also the area of business especially that you're in those are the conversations as you just said if you're at a dinner party people are like yeah okay, <laughs> okay. we're gonna go that way um you know that that is the societal stuff that people have very strong feelings about they have really yeah. strong reactions to it so who do you talk to about it other than people at who work. you work with yeah and actually i think partly that's because you think that no one else is going to understand it mm. so actually how many people in the world do view child pornography for example mm. and sexualized images of children mm. um, who are not paedophiles well cops in my department have to mm. they don't want to so how does how do we support them through that because that's not something that's not a dinner party conversation is it no equally you know studs one of my vivid memories about being in my role was as a, a ds and i went to a postmortem of a child and i seem to talk about postmortems of children quite a lot maybe they affect me more than i realize mm. but it was at christmas time and i remember stood in a mortuary while they autopsied a nine-year-old boy and they were playing Wham's uh, Christmas music oh, in the background God. in the mortuary. And that, every year since then, when it, I always think about that at Christmas. Mm. And it's like, I shouldn't have to think about that, actually. So how do I park that mm. and get over it almost and then move on? But it's interesting that, isn't it? Because that's about your senses and, mm. and something being triggered by something external. Yeah, and it was nothing to do with what, was actually what going I was seeing. On. No, it, it just, just reminds you. Yeah, and it was like, this is weird. Yeah. It's like, why is Wham playing in the mortuary? <laughs> and yeah. I know it's Christmas, but come on. Yeah. And then it's like, you're out shopping next year in 
wherever and Wham's playing in the background you think oh yeah I remember that boy yeah and people are carrying that all the time mm. so unless we get better at understanding those triggers or those signs and we know how to support our staff better which I think we're getting there now with some of the stuff that we've done together mm. that can only be a good thing mm. definitely do you think that that um, is improving kind of culturally within the police in general yeah I think it is actually I think it's long overdue mm. But I think when you look at what we've managed to do in the last couple of years, um, there is more of a focus now on well-being and supporting staff. And that comes partly from leadership, so having people that are engaged, that are visible, that will spend that time to understand what the concerns of their staff are, talk to them, explain things to them, tell them the reasons why something is like it is or we're doing something. That helps massively. Mm. Um, and we are definitely a different organisation than we were, I would say, in the last four or five years, absolutely. And hopefully as we move forward, it will take that further step forward where it will become common that people are quite content going for their psychotherapy sessions or whatever it might be mm. without feeling embarrassed about it or worried about other people finding out or someone in the office viewing that as a weakness. Mm. Then, yeah, we'll get there, definitely. We see with clients, um, police, office, police officers and some from your department, they that there'll often be this resistance at, at first to coming mm. for some support. Um, and when we get the feedback, it's like, you know, I this is the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> um, but it's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And, and I think that, for me, that shift is massive because mm. we're coming in with someone who's actually really in denial and really avoidant and really mm. it's like pulling a you know when you're kind of trying to pull a donkey and they've got the, the yeah. who's completely in the, the stubbornness of it. And then actually there's a process that goes on and they come out the other side feeling well balanced yeah. and able to function. And that, that's a huge shift. And I think the more that it's acceptable that we can recognise that we have a capacity as a person, as a people, to manage those kinds of uh, jobs. Mm. Uh, and that actually they, we need to be looking after psycho psychological well-being. Uh, you know, we, look, we talk a lot about physical well-being and, you know, people will go to the gym on a regular basis and, you know, go running or whatever it is they like to do. But it's also about what you're doing psychologically and yeah. mentally to Absolutely. help yourself. And I think sometimes those going for, I mean, for me, I love going walking. I've got a camper van, she's called Mabel. <laughs> she is Brilliant. quite pink. <laughs> Um, Flowery curtains, I'm now imagining. Uh, pink gingham. <laughs> Thank you, Alexis. But um, for me, the ability to go somewhere remote with my wife and turn off mm. and have that open air, fresh air nature and be exercising, I'm not really doing it for the physical benefits of it at all. No. Um, and I think sometimes people think, yeah, I'm really healthy, I go to the gym and I eat really well and I look after myself and I'm really ripped, and clearly not me. Um, <laughs> and for some, and that, that means that therefore they are going to be fine. Mm. And actually, no, you're missing a crucial part of your health isn't your physical health no. at all. And we, we don't seem to quite click that. Sometimes. It's the link, isn't it? I think the physical health side of it, what I'm always uh, fascinated by is that when we are struggling mentally, and we're ignoring it, mm. often our physical health will be the first Takes thing that over. tells us, yeah, yeah, like we'll get ill, or you go on holiday and you've got tonsillitis for the whole time you're off, or yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're wasted, fatigued. Um, so our body physically will tell us when we're mentally drained, but we tend to be more focused on physically what we're doing. And, and if mm. I was assessing somebody on their mental health, I'd be looking at what's your sleep pattern like, you know, how much water do you drink, uh, what's your diet like, um, are you on any medication, all that kind of stuff. 
But that's the nuts and bolts of it, actually. That's what we need in order to just as a baseline. Yes. And then it's the extra bits. Yeah. And the bit you just described there with Mabel um, is about grounding and being in a in a in a, in an environment where you you can kind of put things in perspective, I suppose. And yeah, I think it is, and, and it's, that it's that opportunity. Yeah, it is. And I think I mean Mabel isn't very fast, so. <laughs> When Does she you break spend, down a lot? They don't tend to break down a lot, don't they? Yeah, she's not the most... She's an old lady. She's not a <laughs> reliable. She leaks. <laughs> <laughs> she gets things. No. Um, <laughs> and so when you're in a, a, an environment that is really busy and you're getting bombarded with things all the time and people are boom, boom, boom at you all and it's fast-paced. Mm. Mabel isn't. So you get in Mabel, she can only do... If you go over 50 miles an hour, all the plates Rattles. fall out of the cupboard. <laughs> And the gin falls out and it's just a terrible weekend. It's a disaster. Oh, it's awful. And mm. it, I think for me, what's that? it's that ability to slow down mm. and then get to wherever you're going, which generally takes a long time, mm. and then you stop. And you're probably somewhere where your phone probably doesn't have a lot of signal. Yeah. It's different. It's a different environment altogether. There's normally a nice pub and it's just that you need that time. It's interesting. I was just thinking it's the change of pace. That's so, not the more important bit. Yeah, for me. yeah. yeah. It's, and actually, that's, there's a process there to going away where actually you start to slow down because Mabel slowed down. Yeah. It's like, you know, how you, when you get there, you've arrived and actually you're there in the place you're in. And I think that's the other bit about well being is being in the here and now and being able to take out of it what you can rather mm. than being in the there and then. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's really important. Mm. And I think when we look at some of the other bits that we did in that training, I hope has allowed. The people that had that training to to get some of those points and to start taking that away and then interpret it and doing what they however they want to do it mm. so whether they've got a a maureen or yeah. something whatever that is mm. that allows them to maybe identify yeah i'm getting to that point now where i feel a bit full things are starting to slosh about a little bit um so what do i need to do mm. well actually for me it's this and that could be anything couldn't it mm. from going for a run to sitting in your pub or whatever it might be but just do something that you know is going to help you come back down again mm. one of the things i hear a lot when people are in um busy jobs like yours is about time i haven't got time you know um they'll make time for other people mm. because often in the role that they're in they are a fixer or they're a protector or they're a rescuer but making time for themselves becomes something that's um it's almost like a I don't know what's the word um, but it's like a luxury yeah um, making time for themselves is a luxury so when they actually take that time out there can be quite a lot of guilt attached to it feeling yeah, guilty I think yeah I mean I, I never feel guilty myself <laughs> um, but maybe that's because I understand well-being <laughs> I don't know but it's, it's interesting I talk to people and some of the people that work for me, it's really weird actually, a conversation I had with a DI even last week and he was about to go on, he was on annual leave and he rang me and he just emailed me. And I was like, I didn't know you were at work today. He said, I'm not, I'm on, I'm on annual leave. So like, what the hell are you doing? Mm. It's, like, it's like, and it's like that, almost that panic of, well, no, I'm about to go off for a week and if I don't do this today, it's gonna be horrendous next week. And when I get back, it's on, and I, you know, I'm not looking forward to coming back. And it's like, well, not even left yet, mm. so how can, you know, if we're in that position where people are feeling that level of burden almost, where they can't take that step back, 
because they're worried about that's you know that's not right no and it's and that's about the size of the job isn't it yeah. and and also work ethic and yeah. um wanting to i think for some people not let the team down mm. as well also not let their cases down there's that real responsibility that goes yeah, with yeah. it but so it's it's important isn't it as a as an organization to get that balance with this is really important work and we have a duty and we we serve the public mm. with we also have a duty to look after ourselves so that we can continue to do that effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And that still has to be a message that's really personal to them as well. So it's not like us saying, I need you at work mm. so you can do your job. That's true. But equally, it's like, I want you at work so you can do your job. Mm. It's not, I need you. And I think it's the way we think about that. And that's where that well-being work is almost like the fuel to allow someone to come into work, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And then whatever we can do in terms of showing people how to fill in a self-care wheel or whatever it might be, if that helps them sort of feel better about it and actually they can come in and feel more comfortable and actually do their job, which they can do, and the frustration often with staff is that they don't feel they can do their job properly because they're tied up in some way or hamstrung in some way, mm. well, let's get rid of those blockages and let's just get you set up the right way. Mm. We, um, when you think about some of the other wellbeing things and, and even like down to hygiene factors, I hate the word hygiene factors and I'm reading it because it says there's a label in the room. Of the <laughs> hygiene, station, hygiene station. Surrounded by sanitizer. Hygiene station. But um, it's like hygiene factors around getting aircon in a building. Mm. And where I worked before, we, had a, we managed to get air conditioning installed in the office block and we maybe used it three or four times last summer, but oh my God, the, the difference the staff felt because suddenly it's like they've been asking for it forever. I don't know quite how we flukely managed to get it, but it, it seems like it just appeared. And it's like, well, something really, really obviously basic, yeah. but can make such a big difference. So that, was, that was what surprised me when we did the training. We asked people what were the stresses. Yeah. It was, it was, the majority of them were environmental. It was my chair is really uncomfortable yeah. or my room is blue yeah, and I've got no windows really or my, yeah my computer's slow or um you know it's boiling in the winter and freezing in the summer and mm. and it was it what fascinated me about that was you know that kind of top layer of everyday irritants that was actually getting in the way of having a conversation about what actually people really do yeah and whether that's partly because people don't want to confront some of those real thoughts mm. and it's like well I'll use the excuse of the computer system being rubbish or mm it's too hot in my office or it's dirty, then that's an easy conversation to have because yeah. it's not actually talking about yourself and mm. talking about how you feel about something. Mm. So, but it's almost like, well, that's fine. Keep Tell me what it is and we'll fix it yeah. or we'll try and fix it. And actually, if we're demonstrating to you that we're listening to you, that we're taking account of what you're saying and we're doing something about it, then you're going to run out of things to say that it's no longer too hot or it's too dirty, mm. or the computer system's rubbish. I mean, the computer system isn't fantastic. <laughs> I hear about that a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it'll get better. Um, but once we've got all those out of the way, and it's like, right, we'll stop putting these things, let's get rid of them, mm. for the good, greater good anyway. And yeah. then, But like, actually, let's get down to, what is it really that's upsetting you, mm. or making you not want to come to work, or making you feel stressed? Yeah. Um, and... By having those labels, people have been able to identify some of those reasons and why that might manifest itself. We've covered in keeping the peace. Yeah. Then that can only but help. And I think now we are starting to see more people engage in that way. So they've still got hang-ups about some hygiene factors, but more so people are more interested and more engaged in becoming well-being champions or becoming peer supporters or whatever those 
the other projects that we're looking at yeah. in terms of how we get that collective sort of feeling back together where we look after each other and we look out for each other. It comes back to that family feeling where um, that kind of weird family, if you like, you, you're brought together because of this um, this subject area, this topic, yeah. if you like, this part of society and trying to promote how to do how to look after each other and recognize the signs in other people because I think that's a real key thing in your area of business is that um, you know if you know each other really well and being able to say to somebody I, I've just got a feeling I don't think I just don't think you're all right or do you want to have a chat or should we just go for a walk it's just kind of creating opportunity to check in with each other mm. and accepting that that's sometimes just all it takes it might be a 10 minute yeah. catch up but recognizing what's going on for other people and knowing that somebody else has got your back with that as yeah well. and and making sure that they feel that they're allowed to do it yeah because obviously we are we are a disciplined organization and people sometimes confuse discipline with their ability to do something mm. so do you remember in yeah. the training where someone, <laughs> I was thinking that. someone was someone was saying about not getting their lunch break and actually they would need Permission. someone to come down and actually go for your lunch it's like well no come on we're all grown-ups mm. you can take your lunch you're entitled to it mm. yes you're really busy mm. but you need to sort of points people need to take that step forward mm. where it's self-initiating and it's yeah do you know what I'm gonna have my lunch but equally that's important for people who are in management positions to support that yeah. so they're not getting grief for doing it we really try to encourage where I worked I've had to move jobs mm. but when I was in my previous role um, we were working in Brig, which is quite a pretty little market town. There was a river and you could go for a walk. And it's like, well, go for a walk. You don't have to sit at your desk for 8, 10, 12 hours a day and we're going to stand over you with a whip and make you work. Mm. Let's be realistic about it, actually. No. If you go for 20 minutes, half an hour, that's not on your lunch break, heaven forbid. <laughs> and you actually just have a bit Just of, leave the building. <laughs> just leave the building. It is possible. Um that can be a good thing, can't it, surely? Mm. That actually they come back, it's almost like a reset, isn't it? And then you go again. Completely. I mean, I, I was just thinking yesterday, I, I never, um, you know, obviously I'm working from home a lot more now than I've ever done. And I took my dog out, Digby, my German Shepherd, yeah. out for a walk. It was, it was a mile, because he needed a leg stretch, so I just kind of, you know, did a bit of a route march, came back. And in the afternoon, I was so much more productive, because yeah. I'd just given myself, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour to just... Yeah. I mean, one thing we did with the people when we were right in lockdown and we had a lot of our uh, colleagues working from home was we set up virtual coffee mornings. Mm. And it's like, do you know what? Again, at work, you would not sit at your desk for eight hours and not stand up and go into the kitchen and make a cup of tea or just have a natter with your friend about what happened at the weekend or what happened on EastEnders last night. So why would we lose that? Mm. And you shouldn't feel guilty about working from home and feeling that pressure that, oh my God, they're going to be watching me. I must do my eight hours. Well, you wouldn't do that at work, so why do it at home? Yeah, and it's it's managing those expectations, isn't it? Because yeah. people, um, when they're working from home, I think, can assume that they're being monitored all the time. And I think we've also moving away, hopefully, from a culture of if you're working from home, you're shirking from home, mm. which has always been the kind mm. of, you know, idea around it. Absolutely. Um, but productivity's increased and absenteeism's decreased. And, you know, so there are some positive signs that actually there is, this is there is. And I think effective. It's, yeah, and I think it's forced some managers to be better managers because actually in order for them to feel comfortable that their staff are working, and they are, on the main, they are, um, they're going to engage with them more, they're going to have more conversations with them, they're going to be more supportive straight away. If that's born on the back of them not trusting them to start with and thinking they need to check up on them, mm. it then becomes apparent that they are doing what they should be doing. And that changes that culture again. So mm. 
it's I suppose you learn as we go forward don't we and, and certainly what we've gone through in the last five months I think people have possibly being forced but have become better managers mm. and more supportive of their staff you've got to be more conscious haven't you yeah, of what you're doing as definitely. a manager at the moment yeah absolutely it, it isn't it, you can't coast with it you no. because you've got to make an effort yeah Def- without a doubt without a doubt mm. and if that helps somebody in terms of feeling them more comfortable that they can come forward and say do you know what something's not right for me at the minute I've had this experience or this has happened or I'm starting to feel stressed and these are the I've identified these points and then that manager knows what to do about it mm. then that's that can't be a bad thing can it? and I think that going forward is the is the bit isn't it around how um you know when managers have picked up on what's going on and those signs I mean a lot of the people in PVP the the uh, leaders were in the training weren't they they were yeah. a part of the training and that was quite interesting to watch you know other people's kind of checking out are they are they doing the self-care wheel yeah, are they, they are yeah. they having a conversation yeah. about that you know what's going on um but seeing each other, I know the rank is really important, especially when you're, you know, you're investigating and you're operational, but it's also about the people-to-people bit and mm-hmm. recognising and putting each person into context. Yeah, um, it is. And managers being able to say, I think this person is struggling, but I don't really know what to do about it Yeah, as well, being honest about that. Massively important, mm. absolutely. Okay, so we talked about Mabel mm-hmm. um, as part of your self-care. What, what else do you do in terms of your own well-being? Um, Apart from the tiki bar. Well, the tiki, yeah, it's not a tiki bar. It's a Bavarian Alpine Schnapps bar. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Uh, yes, How I, can't you think of a shorter name than that? Yeah, it's quite a mouthful, isn't it? The tiki, <laughs> or to call it a tiki bar. Yeah, I have a bar in my garden, which is themed like a Bavarian Alpine bar that sells... Sells? Sells? Doesn't sell. <laughs> serves hazelnut schnapps and beer. Oh, sounds amazing. It is amazing. Um, I am tempted to maybe start wearing lederhosen. <laughs> God, that doesn't sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, for me, it's it is just it, it's about that ability to be in a different environment. I think mm. um, and be have the opportunity to either whether it's have a bit of peace and quiet or you know just be left alone mm-hmm. for a moment. Psychologically, it's like being able to make the separation, and I'm, I'm quite good at not checking my emails on weekends and things like that. But I know other people find that temptation just far too much if it's too accessible. Yeah, and I think when you work Monday to Friday and then you, you're coming on a Monday morning and people have been emailing you at eight o'clock on Sunday night, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, that's half your week, you know, Sunday evening. I mean, for me, I quite like sitting on a Sunday evening, possibly drinking a glass of Prosecco and watching Escape to the Shatter. Don't judge me, <laughs> but I ain't gonna be sitting doing no my No judgment emails. here, Pete, it's fine. <laughs> So yeah, I am going to be sitting through my emails because I think it gives me a head start on Monday morning. Mm. It's you got to be have that discipline, I think, at points. I mean, it works work, perhaps, mm. and yeah, the two can cross over, but not constantly. No, but it's a balance. It's damaging either or the other. Mm. Thank you for listening to the Keeping the Peace podcast. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts, and if you subscribe, you'll be notified of the next episode as soon as it's available. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future podcasts, so please do comment or get in touch on our social media platforms for either Fortis Therapy and Training or Oscar Kilo.